welcome. This is the Dating Counselor Podcast, the show that takes you out of the dating game and into a successful relationship. I'm Lonnie Harmon, and I'm a licensed therapist, and I am the Dating Counselor. Thanks for listening. So what does it take to create a successful relationship? Well, that is the question that I am out to answer in teaching you my new class, The Relationship Screening Method. Go over to thedatingcounselor.com, click under Courses, and learn more about this new course that I'm offering on a virtual platform that also comes with weekly live coaching sessions with yours truly. So that's again, go to thedatingcounselor.com, look under courses and look up the relationship screening method so that you can actually apply the method to then begin creating your successful relationship. Hi, welcome to the Building a Successful Relationship podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Kennington Harmon. And today I am so excited to introduce you guys to our guest. This is my good friend. His name is Anthony Hughes, and I have known him since before he married his dear wife. I was introduced to him by his wife, Haley. Uh, We worked together at good old LDS Family Services a million years ago before marriage and children. And it's been amazing to see Anthony's career just totally blossom and take off. He is doing some amazing things. He is the owner of Covenant Sex Therapy, which has many offices throughout Utah. And I think you're in Idaho, too. He's written a couple of books. And I wanted to have him just be here so he can talk to us a little bit more about sex and how to have a healthy attitude about sex and also a little bit about the effects of sexual repression. So maybe would you mind just share a little bit about like how how you got started in the, in the field, maybe where you got your education and stuff like that. Yeah. So I went to BYU and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And then I, I went back a, a year later after working for a little bit and got my PhD in marriage and family therapy. And, uh, I, I wanted to f- focus on specialize in sex therapy. So I got a sex therapy certification through, uh, ASECT. It's, uh, the, the largest sexual certification, um, Institute. Okay. And we do have, yeah, we have locations all throughout Utah from Logan down to St. George. And we work with uh, primarily members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that struggle with uh, sexual issues. So sexual desire, arousal, orgasm, pain, satisfaction, and addiction. So how, um, are you, so I guess I'm just curious, and, and maybe this is this is a question that you get asked often, and it may seem like inappropriate. But how did you get interested in that field? <laughs> yeah, I do. I got that a lot in graduate school. A lot of faculty would say, "Why are you interested? So interested in this?" And I just thought, "I'm going to shake off that shame that they're passing <laughs> my way. I'm not interested in accepting any of that. Um, it's fine to be interested in in, in sexuality and sex therapy." So. Um, I, I knew, so I have a, a business mind and I knew that, um, it, it's a, a, kind of, a uh, a field that not a lot of people were in. And so I thought, you know, that would be a good place for me. I knew I wanted to have um, my own private practice. So I thought, you know, business wise, it would make sense to open that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like working with couples. That's, that's like my favorite thing, working with couples, even though I'm a marriage and family therapist and trained in play therapy and family therapy, I love working with couples. And so I thought, what's one of the biggest issues that couples struggle with Yes, specifically in the church? Um, what do they struggle with? And it's sexuality. I mean, it's one of the top reasons why couples will get divorced is something related to sexuality. Another one's finance, but I wasn't interested in working with finance <laughs> and couples. Uh, so I thought sex is a, is a, a more enjoyable topic than mm-hmm. finance. Well, and it seems to me that it's a topic that is very taboo amongst um, members of the LDS church. And so maybe that was kind of the other thing is like you being bold enough to say, this is what I want to study and what I want to do. You putting off that shame helps other people put off that shame. I feel like I have to get it perfect, Bonnie. I'm so sorry. You don't, dude, you're fine. I'll just stop and re-record. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so it it being taboo was one of the things that I was actually really interested uh, about uh, with, with doing sex therapy, because I knew that there were all these relationships that were struggling, uh, just enormously, uh, struggling 
because of their sexual relationship. And I thought they get to come into a therapy room, sit across from at the, t- the time. Initially, it was just just me before I uh, started my practice at, at, you know, I'm in graduate school at BYU. They get to sit across from me and they get to talk about something with uh, somebody that's got some training mm-hmm. and uh, and they can talk about something that's destroying their relationship mm-hmm. that's destroying their eternal progression that's destroying their own life satisfaction mm-hmm. and and simply by having that conversation and saying hey we need to talk about this thing that's a little difficult our sex life just that alone mm-hmm. um, took them into a different playing field um, that that took them from the space of we feel so trapped and we're having so many um, so many issues and we don't know what to do about it to now a place where uh, maybe we can get some answers. Maybe we can make some changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just having that conversation um, with somebody else outside of their spouse to say, we're struggling with sex um, was uh, was uh, something that, that interests me in doing sex therapy. Mm-hmm. We can address this really taboo thing. So I was excited about just having the conversation with people. And I've been shocked at how daring and brave, I guess brave is a better way to put it, brave people have been and saying my sexuality, our sexuality matters. And we want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is such good stuff. Like, I feel like it's so empowering to be able to put this out. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to be here. So I love I, I feel like I want to do a separate podcast for people that are married. But my podcast right now is ta- tailored to people that are single. So if you're single, and you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and you subscribe to the Law of Chastity, you may be wondering, why did I bring Anthony here? Because he's here to talk about sexual um, desire and how it works with a partner. And so let me just explain. The reason I wanted to have him on here and talk about um, this being single is that I'm seeing a lot of things come up in, in, that there's a lack of education about sex. There's a lack of education about sexuality. There's a lack of acceptance about it. And it's playing out in the dating game. Um, in that there's not some attachment happening where people are too afraid to get physical, or if you go to the other end of the spectrum, they're acting out sexually in ways that are making their partner feel unsafe in, in early dating. Um, we're not talking about like, we've had a conversation, we've decided that we want to have sex, or I'm talking about like, um, doing things within the first couple of dates that really make one partner feel uncomfortable while parading as someone who is an active member and subscribes to the law of chastity. And so this, this kind of uh, evolution that kind of happens when you're single for an extended period of time, there's some sexual repression that happens. And the repression, to me, the effects of the repression are, I'm not even going to, to be physical at all, or I'm going to be overtly physical, make my partner uncomfortable, or maybe even, um, act out sexually in other ways, like keeping like a secret life or looking at pornography in, in, in shame, um, in some of those types of things. So that's what we're going to dig into. So, you know, everyone hold on, it's going to be good. (laughs) So it will, it will be good. I, I mean, yes. Anytime we, we, um, break down those walls and those barriers, uh, surrounding the shame about sexuality, I think, it's it's a success and so yeah i i'm super excited lonnie that you've asked me to to come and talk with you oh awesome okay so let's jump into let's talk about what what happens with repression specifically like when you at at what age do you start developing your sexuality and if you just keep it at bay like you're not going to go on dates you're not going to hold hands hug kiss like do any of those things tell me a little bit about that oh yeah this is um this is such a foundational piece. So um, I, I do this uh, this thing about the, the, the talk and then what I call the new talk. Um, and uh, really our sexuality starts developing really in utero. Um, I won't go into too much detail about how that is or how does science know that, um, but it, it starts in utero and it starts um, in, in the way in part how parents uh, talk to this this baby and that's uh, that's um, that's there that's growing that's developing um, and how they they relate to this this child. Um, but once the baby's born, um, what happens is especially in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but um, really you see this everywhere. 
boys are, are, are taught differently concerning sexuality than girls are taught. Um, but right at the get-go, um, from the time that they, they are born, you see um, more obvious sexual, sexual teaching. And that could be in the way of repression um, or in, in the way of, uh, let's say, healthy sexuality. I'll call it healthy sexuality, where they're talking about physical anatomy. And, so like when um, you like with with parents now we are learning that you need to teach the names of the anatomy and you teach the function of the anatomy and not create shame around that. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So and the the cool thing that's happened for uh, a while with uh, little boys is that parents a lot of times will name their their penis um, but, uh, you know, so they'll be changing their, their diaper or, um, they'll be bathing them and they're naming their body parts. Um, some parents are, are getting to the, to the place now will, where they will give their child a name, um, for that, that body part, the penis or testicles. Um, usually they don't name the, the testicles, mm-hmm. um, but, but that's, that started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very helpful when parents will. Um, will give an alternate name or a nickname for, for sexual anatomy. Um, but that's, that's where, and I can go into a lot of detail about uh, sexual, sexual education across the lifespan. But, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that would probably be for another, uh, another podcast, another discussion. Yeah. Um, but that's really where it starts. And this, this repression um, could start with not, uh, uh, sexual anatomy not being named. And mm-hmm. this happens a lot of times for little girls. Uh, the vulva, the clitoris usually doesn't get named, mm-hmm. and it's so sad because when you when you don't name something, um, there's uh, there's actually a, a, a an author and a researcher that talks about this. She says um, when you don't name the clitoris for a little girl, it's it's like a clitoridectomy. It's like that is being um, taken out. So a clitoridectomy would be the removal mm-hmm. of the clitoris, mm-hmm. and verbally we do that for for a lot of. Uh, little girls will perform as parents a clitoridectomy in not naming their sexual anatomy mm-hmm. in not giving them terminology in uh, freaking out when they, this little child's exploring their body mm-hmm. um, instead of having a, a conversation with them about that yeah it feels good when your clitoris is touched um, mm-hmm. and educating them about their their, their sexual anatomy mm-hmm. uh, so really the, rep- the repression starts from an early early age um, as, as young as these, these little, little babies that, um, are in utero and in diapers and how we interact with them. Mm-hmm. And kids pick up how we feel about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, they pick up our anxiety around it. They pick up us quickly moving to a different conversation, um, or only dad talking to the sons and only mom talking to the daughters. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts at this really early age, but you can see it all across the lifespan. Do you think that some of that teaching comes because of the parents' programming and the shame that they were programmed with and then coupled with the cultural programming of it? Like, don't say that because that makes, you know, grandma uncomfortable when you call it that or... Oh, definitely. I, I think that that, that totally does. Um, so this uh, this semester, actually, I have a course release at BYU. I, I'm a... I'm a visiting faculty at BYU, specifically in the marriage and family therapy program. And I got a course release to do some um, sexual education with two students there at BYU. And we're creating this website, Sexual Intimacy Conversations. And, um, and so as we're, as we're creating this and fleshing it out, um, I was so proud of my, my two students. One of them said, um, hey, in, in order to really do a good job in, in fleshing out this website on sexual education, shouldn't we have a section on um, the sexual sexual sexuality of the parents themselves and Ooh, yeah. how their own relationship with their sexuality impacts their child's sexual development mm-hmm. and sexual repression or um, or honoring sexuality or healthy sexuality in mm-hmm. the growth and development of their child. And I was just like beaming so excited because I didn't even have to say it. And, and so I know that there's some change that's happening in our mm-hmm. culture. There's some change that's a mist that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're, you're right. So much of it goes back to um, how do the parents feel about their own sexuality? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may think, oh, my child is perfect and their, their body is uh, created in God's image. And I love every, every bit of them. But when they, when they think about 
um, their own body and their own sexuality and their own relationship with their sexual anatomy, which is huge. Most people don't have a, a good relationship with their sexual anatomy. Um, then, then that that's where things start to go haywire in the mm-hmm. sexual development of these these kids that become adults. Do you think it also happens? So let's say like you start dating um, or culturally, and then um, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at around 16, and we're encouraged to group date, which I feel like is great, but I um, also see that there's some development that kind of gets stunted because people do tend to want to pair off, and I think that's okay, Uh, but then parents get afraid of them acting out and having sex, and so they say, oh, no, 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 you can't pair off, you can't pair off, and so that's where a lot of hiding starts. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. And I think um, it's becoming, that hiding is happening earlier and earlier because parents aren't having regular ongoing conversations. So this is part of the new, what I call the new talk versus the talk. You know, the talk was, you have a, it's like a one and done conversation with your kids. Maybe if you're like- a, Right quote, after quote, maturation quote. in fifth grade over ice yeah. cream. <laughs> yeah, and you, t- you come and talk to me if you have any other questions about it. And then they, they won't come and talk to them, usually, if they have any other questions uh, about it. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that, that old talk, that old version of the talk didn't work. But the new talk is really the parents need to be proactive and have regular ongoing conversations. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my kids have said, um, oh, no, here dad goes again. Or they're rolling <laughs> their eyes because my, my wife and I start talking to them about sexuality. They're like, we know, dad, we get it. Um, and I love hearing that from them. I love hearing that they're so tired of the discussion surrounding sexuality. I've got four youngish kids and I, I, I think that they're so tired of hearing about that. And I, I think then I'm doing a good job. If they're sick of hearing about it, I'm doing a, I'm doing an okay job with them. Um, but you know, going back to what you said, this hiding in the secrecy really happens at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are going to explore their body and start as, as, um, as, uh, they start to develop, develop, and um, and so that that secrecy and that hiding um, is definitely going to be there. I think for a lot of people at sixteen, if, especially if their parents have not been very open about sexuality, mm-hmm. and if they haven't even if they haven't talked about their own experience. I mean, it's one thing to say, "Oh, it's normal and natural to be curious um, uh, when you're making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you're on that date and you're you're curious about um, you know what it would be like to kiss him or her." Um, or um, to do more, you know, mm-hmm. you about what breast stimulation would feel like or oral sex would be like. It's a whole different thing to say. And I remember, you know, in my own parents' basement, sitting there uh, uh, holding hands with or kissing or being dared to do X, Y, and Z and being really curious or interested mm-hmm. or myself, um, you know, uh, going to, uh, you know, quote unquote, second base or, or mm-hmm. uh, touching her breast or allowing him to touch my breast, um, you know, to, to go that far and to, to really be vulnerable. And I call it being mm-hmm. Brene Browning it because she talks about showing up that. and being seen. Uh, when you really can Brene Brown it and show up and be seen and say, yeah, I've been there or I'm, I'm still there. Um, you know, that happens, that happens to me. Um, I, I think that that, that tells your kids, um, these 16 year olds that would otherwise hide this stuff that tells them that you're normal and this is natural. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is part of the process. This is part of why we're here on, on earth. Mm-hmm. I love that. So the, the idea would be to discuss why you're deciding not to have sex rather than acting like you don't want to have it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I have this, uh, this concept that, that I talk about and write about that's called healthy principles of sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I think really, um, you know, that, that conversation about, um, that needs to happen uh, over time about why it is that I'm waiting to have intercourse or why it is that I'm waiting to do anything outside of, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you crossing the law of chastity, I'll say crossing mm-hmm. that, that line. The reason why I'm waiting, um, I, th- I think that that has to relate to what I call these healthy principles of sexuality. What do I want to grow and nurture in myself mm-hmm. and in my future relationship? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to think think um, about, you know, as a 16-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, maybe even, you know, as somebody that's 36 and not married. I got a little married a little bit later for 
our culture, you know, as, as a young single adult or an older adult, what do you want your sexuality to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what do you want your sexuality look, to look like with, in, within your relationship? And if you can extract out some of those things that you want, so mutual satisfaction mm-hmm. and, and pleasure and fun and respect and, um, and maybe playfulness or eroticism. I mean, you name it, you pull out all those things that, that make up for your healthy sexuality. When you look at the future and your couple healthy sexuality, you can extract all those things out and you can start working on those like today. Mm-hmm. You can start nurturing those things today because our sexuality is with us all throughout our day, whether we acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. It's there in our relationships. It's there when we're alone. Um, it's it's this thing that we want to cultivate and nurture. Um, and I think if we take that approach, this uh, cultivating, nurturing approach, rather than a um, a disaster approach, mm-hmm. uh, a guy uh, named Al Vernacchio, he, he does a lot of TED Talks about concepts related to this a nurturing concept versus a disaster approach Mm -hmm. if we start nurturing then i think that it's going to um uh, make it so that we can have these open conversations with our parents Mm -hmm. about these things that we would otherwise hide or with our roommates or with our friends or our family members okay love it let's take a break for a sec we're going to come back this is so good okay Welcome back. We're here with Anthony Hughes, and I should call you Dr. Hughes, but for some reason you're just Anthony to me. <laughs> I think I'm Anthony to a lot of people. I get my students and people asking me all the time, and I always squirm a little bit, I think, when people call me doctor. I thought I would, like, sit up straighter and be, like, all proud, but after I got my PhD, I was like, ugh, it just feels weird because I'm, yeah, I'm so informal. Which is, which is part of your charm, man. So let's talk a little bit about... When you're in the dating phase and you are trying to follow the law of chastity, like that's your choice, and you're you're a guy and you want to show a girl that you're interested, you want to do the thing called like kiss her and snuggle with her and not go too far, um, what do you feel like is, there's just like sometimes there's guys that just won't do it at all do you think that's like a lack of testosterone do you think it's courage do you think like what is it that's going to help them get started because sometimes they just they just won't they just won't at all so if we take uh, if we're taking it from the the guy's end yeah guy's end Mm -hmm. so if we're if, if we're approaching it from that direction i think um what I've seen a lot is I've seen guys that have struggled, and it's not all about pornography, but the guys that have struggled with having a, a healthy relationship with their sexuality, I'll say, and therefore with uh, with erotic material, and um, and what they've done to um, to follow the law of chastity, to not cross any lines that they don't want to cross, and have a good relationship with God and their spirituality, they've uh, a lot of guys will cut off their sexuality. Um, meaning um, that they won't put themselves in a situation that could be arousing, um, that could be physiologically, sexually arousing, and, um, and, and cause them to think, quote-unquote, dirty thoughts, or um, that could put them in a situation where they may um, get into some danger by crossing that, that, that line. And I think it really goes back to what I, what I talked about um, earlier about these healthy principles of sexuality and it's more of a nurturing approach versus that disaster approach. And if, um, and so I, I think one, one piece is that I think that there are some guys that don't want to cross that line because they're worried that if I do, if I, if I start kissing or holding her hand or let her give me that back massage, that's so sensual. It feels so good. You know, maybe I'll be lulled into this, um, susceptible, uh, sexual arousal state. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and then I, I think that um, if I'm, I'm just thinking about uh, what other guys might um, might struggle with, why they might not um, want to do some of those things. I think that they that there are people that think that I'm going to save everything sexual until I get married, and it's almost like this switch that they flip on. Like as soon as we get married, then it's like all out, you know. Game on. Let's, let's do this. Like I can, we can run wild and do whatever we want to do. Um, you know, we can be 
uh, swinging from chandeliers. But <laughs> until then, until then, I'm not holding hands. I'm not kissing. I'm not going to do anything um, that's that's you know giving my flower away or that's flipping on that switch. But I think the thing that so many of us forget is that we cannot escape our sexuality. I don't think that we should try to escape our sexuality. Um, but so even if we could, I don't think we should try to. But our sexuality is is there and with us and we are cultivating either unhealthy sexuality by repressing things or we're cultivating healthy sexuality um and and so um so they may think well i'm not going to kiss her or i'm not going to make out or i'm not going to hold her hand or cuddle with her out out of fear that you know i'm I'm in some way giving away my flower Um, but our sexuality is in the way that we respect another person in the way that we relate to another person, in the way that we're vulnerable with somebody else, that we're courteous with somebody else. And those are all things I, I bet everyone out there is thinking, well, yeah, I want that in my sex life. Like if, if I'm not, if there's not um, uh, being courteous and kind and being loving and being vulnerable and being expressive, um, then, then that wouldn't be a very fulfilling uh, sexual relationship. So our sexuality is there, whether we're holding their hand or kissing them or choosing not to. We're just cultivating our sexuality in a way that may not get us where we want want to be in the end. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that was so good. I love that you're how you're expressing that it's there and it's just kind of like letting it be there and let, it's almost the same as like letting someone in on how you feel about them um, is the same as letting them know like, hey, I want to touch you or, or be near you. Um, and I, I personally feel like that's an important part of attachment that you are trying to figure out um, how you relate to each other in that way. And that if you hold it back, then people don't know that this is this, this signify this particular thing, sex, this changes it from being just a friendship to a romantic relationship. This physical touch is the, is the difference between just we're hanging out and having a good time together. And this is intimate and this is romantic. And this is part of the way that you express your care for them. And I think as you're learning how to care for them and expressing that, thinking about how they feel, thinking about what this is like for them is part of that vulnerability. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And Sue, Sue Johnson um, talks about this. She, she talks, um, so attachment theory, Sue Johnson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you that don't know, she talks about the thrill of sex being the attachment. Mm-hmm. It's all that stuff, Lonnie, that you highlighted that I talked about. Um, and then the frill, so the thrill and the frill, the frill is the chandeliers or the position or, um, you know, the different different things that can mm-hmm. um, ensue sexually with the couple um, that popular psychology and, and I'll just say a lot of the world says is the, the thrill. Mm-hmm. But she says, really, that stuff is that is not what it's really about, that the thrill stuff is the attachment. And then all the other stuff is like the icing on top of the cake. Mm -hmm. That's the the frill stuff. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is not going to keep people um, uh, satisfied in a relationship. Um, You'll be trying to find new and novel things all the time and feel like you're, you're just falling short. The stuff that, that it's really about the, 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 um, the foundational pieces Mm -hmm. that are going to make it, a, a thrill that are going to make it satisfying are really going to be those attachment based things. Can I well, open up to him? Can I open up to her? And that, like you said, translates to sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that part of what drives the relationship is that anticipation. Right. And sometimes I think that's why, why people jump the gun so quickly and they, um, oh, we're, we're so in love so fast. And I want to know so fast because they feel like, that anticipation has to be satisfied super quickly. And so they, this is kind of another thing that they just, they go so fast. They want that one night date that they stay up till four in the morning and they can't keep their hands off each other. And that signifies to them, this is the person I'm supposed to be with. So let's maybe dive into like lasting love versus lust. Oh, that's perfect. Cause this is in line with some other research and a, and an author that I wanted to talk about. So Esther Perel, mm-hmm. she does a podcast for, or uh, she does a, a TED talk, a couple of TED talks. Um, Esther Perel, she talks about um, uh, her book is entitled "Mating in Captivity," and <laughs> you talk about you talk about long lasting love. Uh-huh. And I, at first, I was like, "What in the world is this book even about?" That title feels like so real for our culture. 
I know. I was like, this is this is like us. This is all of us. And and so you know, you talk about that that the the long the long for the long haul. And she talks she talks about that piece that you mentioned of um, that you're staying up till four o'clock in the morning. You can't keep your hands off of each other. Um, that is that is this. Um, the, there's two pieces she talks about. That's the passion piece. And she says in monogamous relationships, what happens is we want, um, we, we, um, we have a connection. So there's a passion and a connection. And with all that connection, um, the, the connection is tied to linked to attachment theory, you could say. So when we're, when we're in a monogamous relationship, a long-term relationship, we're married, we're sealed in the temple, we want to be known by the other person. We want to be understood. We almost want them to be able to read our mind. Uh, we want to know where they are at four o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, not not because we're controlling, but because um, we love them, we care about them. We 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 want them to be in our world, and we want to be in their world. But she says there's a problem with that. The issue with that is that um, when you when you have that connection and that safety and that security, it takes away a lot of the passion because the passion resides in the closing of the gap. In, in, in between us and that other person. Uh, you don't want to leave at four o'clock in the morning and keep your, you, don't, you have a hard time keeping your hands off that other person because you're so worried and concerned that if I'm, if I'm not with them, what is that going to be like? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? I know what they're thinking and they're feeling right now. Um, or I want, I, I want to feel closer to that person. I want to feel more understood by that person. Um, he's getting me. She's getting me. She's understanding me. And so there's that closing of the gap, which is where that passion is. And it's a fun place to be. Um, and, and so uh, what happens, so that's in like these, these uh, early on relationship, but then what happens later on as you, as you close the gap and all that, um, I guess she would say that passion has sort of been extracted because you know all the ins and outs of that other person. You know their wants and desires and their fears and the sexual things that they want to do or don't want to do. Um, all of that's been figured out. Now you feel safe and secure but you're longing for something sexual. You're longing for that passion. You're longing for that space in between the two of you. So, so well said. Um, so what do you do? What do you do when you're single and you want to have sex and you cannot find the right partner and you just feel like it's never going to happen for you? I think that's such a such a difficult place to to be in in our culture um, because you just describe somebody that values their sexuality, that mm-hmm. honors their sexuality, um, that that knows that that's such an integral part of who they are. All of those those things are um, struggles that so many people that come and in, come into our offices and meet with us. So many things that those those people um, are are struggling to possess um, those those characteristics. So. I, when I hear something like that, I'm, I just like want to stand up and applaud because I'm so excited that however that person got to that place where they honor that, they value that, they, they know how important that is. They know that that's a value, valuable part of who they are. Um, somehow something happened that was right along the way. Parents, education, culture, maybe, maybe some shifts in culture, family, friends, books they've read, work they've done on their own, something. They've done something to get to a place where they now possess some things that are so invaluable, like so utterly invaluable that people would, would die for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have plenty of couples that come in that would, if they could, if they could somehow um, take those principles and ideas and put them into their life, put them into their relationship, they would be so happy and so satisfied. So I, I'm excited about that, that, that person's struggle. Um, but I think, in a lot of ways, um, I think some of what has to be done when you can't express that or you find yourself in a relationship or marriage where we're not having sex or this, it's not healthy if we were to have sex or uh, there's not respect that's there so we're not doing it or uh, maybe there's a, um, a differing ability levels that's making that challenging um, or somebody's overseas uh, in the military or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's got to be a, a, a mourning of some of those losses. And I think that's so important because we want to, yeah. a lot of times we want to go quick to how can we fix this? And, um, and, and that's something that so many members of the, the church uh, that are single 
and don't want to cross that that uh, the that line, that law of chastity. I think that so many thing, uh, so many of those people, um, if they don't mourn those losses, I think they're doing themselves a disservice. If they're mm-hmm. just you know trying to figure out, well, how do I how do I uh, how, how can I, I sneak it in? Life? How do I live like this? <laughs> well, and sometimes I think it's that. How do I sneak it in? Like I don't want to. You know, sometimes the, the the again that anticipation of being with a partner is what drives you to do the brave thing, get to that event, or ask that girl out, or say yes to that guy, and do the hard work because that's what kind of motivates us forward because we're we're anticipating the relief of that repression or that the relief or the and the desire of that connection. And so I think sometimes when you act out in ways that are in, inappropriate for your standards. What that does is it just kind of alleviates that anticipation and it makes you kind of more stagnant. So you're not having that like, oh, I wonder if, if she would like me. I wonder if how this is going to work and, and working through some of that um, challenge. Yeah, I think there's to that point, I think there's a lot of people that talk about how um, that closing of the gap, that pa- where that passion's living um, and that anticipation that you mentioned. Um, a lot of people talk about how um, when you do cross the, the law of chastity um, and then there isn't that anticipation, it doesn't drive and move a couple uh, forward, let's say, in their, their relationship. Um, and, um, and, you know, because they, they were able to uh, explore what that would be like with that person and now they're on to the, the next new and novel thing. Um, but, um, but I think a, a couple that's able to adhere to that, that their values and say, you know what, we're going to wait. We really don't want to wait um, for these reasons, um, but we really do ultimately want to wait for these other reasons. I think mm-hmm. those couples um, that build that anticipation and build that passion and um, learn how to develop some of these other things that make sex so much better mm-hmm. if they work on those things i think that they're they're not going to be you mean like the really, emotional connection that kind of thing yeah yeah okay. the emotion the emotional connection i mean oh man lonnie for for so many of our couples that come in to to meet with us initially sex is easier to do than to talk about um and 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 i'll relate that to vulnerability so you don't have to be talking about sex with your uh this this guy this girl that you're dating or this person you're in a long-term relationship with um, you don't have to talk about sex in order um, to uh, make that the component of sexuality, vulnerability, um, uh, um, a, a valuable part of your uh, future relationship. You could work on just vulnerability by itself, sex aside. And if you work on that, you work on your connection, you work on your attachment, uh, you work on being able to express yourself. You look, work on understanding that other person. Those are all skills that translate to the bedroom. Under oh, the sheets, so good. The mm-hmm. So good. So it's like having emotional sex before you have actual sex. Yeah. I mean, that sounds I, a little bit like unsatisfying, but I guess maybe being on the other side of it, like my husband and I decided to wait and he had had sex before and... I, 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 get, I get this question a lot of like, well, does not bother you? And I'm like, actually not. No, not at all. Because our connection and our emotional um, vulnerability was so, so much of what we worked on and what we brought together that it, it's every experience, it's your, it's your experience with them. It's not just the act of sex. Yeah, I think it's like the difference between an event, something that occurred, and an experience. Yes. Yes. So well said. Okay, so I have I have a question that I that I I uh, hear a lot of clients they get asked. So are you going to want to have sex? Are you going to be high desire? Are you gonna, like it's like they're because they're not going to have sex. Their partner wants to quiz them down to find out if they're going to you know deny them in the bedroom or if they're going to be like all in. Yeah, and that's so that's so fascinating. If I think about when I was younger and I was dating. Um, I'm sure there were some people talking about that, but I'm guessing that that's talked about so much more now because um, you have all these people that are worried they're going to end up in a relationship that's sexless or that they're not on the same playing field as their, their spouse or partner. Um, I'll, I'll tell, tell you what the research says, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you um, some anecdotes. So um, the research says that we usually marry um, somebody that's similar to us sexually. 
Um, mm-hmm. Just like we uh, marry somebody that's similar to us um, uh, as far as uh, differentiation goes or attachment goes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many people, though, that would say, well, I don't know anyone where that's the, the case. So, you know, for those that don't buy that research, that don't like that research, that don't see that playing out in their, their life and the, the lives of those that are around them, um, I, I'll give you some anecdotes. Um, so I've worked with so many couples and supervised so many cases uh, where they say, we thought we had it made. When we were dating, we could not keep our hands off each other. We somehow were able to um, squeak by, get sealed in the temple and not have sex uh, before marriage or not cross any lines on the law, with the law of chastity. Um, but we get married and it's our honeymoon or uh, the first year of our marriage, first couple months of our marriage, and it is not anything like it was when we were dating. It is not anything like it was when we were engaged. Her desire or my desire or his desire is not there. They're not interested. I'm not interested. I have no libido. I, you know, making out has does nothing for me now, and it did all this stuff for me earlier. So I, I, I think that there, I think it's a good conversation if you're getting serious with somebody. Um, you're you're working towards uh, a long-term commitment of of uh, getting married or getting being sealed in the temple. I think that those are important conversations about desire levels. But I think you also have to uh, weigh them within the context that you currently exist, because a lot of things change when you get married, and it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like that would be the case. And when I got my first couple of cases, therapy cases, where they talked about this, I thought, well, maybe this is a fluke, or maybe this is an exception. But then we started to get lots of people that talked about this. And then I realized that um, this is an experience that that lots of people have, that uh, your sexuality within your dating relationship, some of that stuff translates into your marriage and some of it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Some of it needs to be transformed from dating to marriage to make it uh, so that it's a successful relationship. Do you feel like that sometimes it's too because there's that, that you have to have a stop button when you're dating and you're you're deciding to obey the law of chastity and so that stop button that kind of creates a little bit of uh, that that zing you know that yeah. thrill and so then when you don't have to stop the stopping point is usually orgasm and if you're having a hard time learning how to do that with each other then you just get really frustrated yeah yeah i, I think there is something to that i think there's something that's um and maybe the stopping point is an orgasm well, i don't know but Sorry. Well, I, yeah. So I, you know, where it made my mind goes, I think there, there, there can be things that are really arousing about it being taboo. Mm-hmm. I wonder what, um, you know, I wonder how far we could go without crossing this line, or I wonder what what it would be like to cross this line, mm-hmm. or oh my gosh, we're doing this thing that is like really, really close to where we shouldn't be going. Um, I think that there's some thrill and excitement about that. Um, I think some people. Um, are not um, very aroused by um, a spouse or partner in in garments. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's another piece. I think that a lot of people might not, uh, some people might not feel as sexual in garments. I think mm-hmm. that it goes the other way too. I think some people might feel their spouse or the, themselves are very sexual in mm-hmm. garments. But I've heard that from a lot of people like, um, I don't feel that sexy in these garments or they don't, mm-hmm. um, they don't make me look very, very sexy. And well, so sometimes I think that, to be sexual. that on that note, like, I think there's a, there's a piece of owning your own sexuality. And like, if that's not what's making you feel sexual change, I mean, you're allowed to be out of them for sex. So like get yourself into something that makes you feel like you're ready to be sexual. I don't know. To yeah. me, I guess that just yeah. feels like kind of obvious, but maybe I'm being too simple about it. I don't mean to be unvalidating to people. <laughs> I think for some people it is obvious, but I think for other people, um, you know, we've, we've had, you name it, um, that are members of the, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints come mm-hmm. into our offices. Some people that are like, is it okay to get out of our garments to have intercourse? So they're thinking, do we you know, pull them yeah. down or something? Or Take them off. To, to have sex while we're wearing them. Um, and then we've had some people um, that that are on the other end of the, the spectrum um, that, you know, whatever that would be, uh, you know, that don't wear garments during the day, let's say, uh, so that they can tease their spouse and, 
and say, uh, you know, I'm not wearing any garments or I'm not wearing a bra or I'm not wearing mm-hmm. any underwear or uh, will maybe show their, their underwear to their, to their spouse uh, mm-hmm. to flirt with them. So we've had people that are all, all over. So I don't know if it, I don't think that it's too much to say, or I don't think that it's assumed um, to, to your question. I don't think that that's assumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or as obvious. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's as obvious. And I, and I feel like the, those things are something that are, again, like personal to you as an individual for what helps. But I mean, I, I guess I just feel like it's kind of like the, like, I feel like the question gets asked and answered inside of vulnerability again. You know, like, are you going to want this? Or are you going to want that? And it's like, well, I think I'm a person who's self-aware enough to know that like, that's a part of me and I would like to explore that part of me. But if you're going to pressure me and tell me how it's going to be and how often all that kind of stuff, like that's, that's not going to feel good. And so the answer to the question is, how are we going to decide together what feels good for both of us? Because I don't want to make you feel less than, and I hope you don't want to make me feel less than that we figure out that what works. Yeah. And when, you know, as you were describing that, that, uh, hypothetical conversation of, are you going to want to have sex this much? Or are you going to want to do these things? What can happen is. Um, you see the presence, uh, the, the hypothetical, or the, um, not hypothetical, the, um, you, you see the presence of the other person mm-hmm. um, taking over the space of their spouse or assumed to be spouse. And so then they, they've carved out a lot of space for them and their partner isn't really present in, in the sexuality of their relationship. Okay. So if they feel like they have to sign up for how many times we're going to be having sex and what that's going to look like. Well, now a, a lot of who that, that their spouse is has just been extracted out of the sexual relationship. Um, and so now the sexual relationship is really um, one spouse versus well, collaborative And maybe it just becomes like a number. Yeah. Like we have to fall into this number category of so many times a week. Or I don't know. Yeah, well, we we have people that come in that are like, we figured out something that has somewhat worked for us. We have sex on these days. We have sex this many times a week. And I can't ever be like, well, that's the wrong way to do it or this is the right way to do it. Um, but a lot of times they'll say, um, that's worked for us, but it's not working any longer. Or I think that that would be okay. And so you, you, you kind of have to figure out, do, do we work on this and address it or not? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think um, you made the point of, we, we have to have a relationship with our own sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes all the way back to early childhood um, and what do we cultivate surrounding sexuality for ourselves. And, and when, we, when our sexuality is really only present uh, when it's tied to another person, to mm-hmm. our spouse, or um, it's only there because of that other person. Well, we do this because he likes it. We do this because she likes it. Um, and we're not really there. Uh, you know, we're, we're physically there, but we're not really there. Our, uh, our relationship with our sexuality is really not present there. Then it's very dissatisfying for a, for a lot of people. And it's, it's not what most couples want their sexual relationship to look like. Mm-hmm. Well said. Let's take a break and then we're going to wrap. Guys, this is good. Welcome back. We're just going to wrap up here with Anthony and... I want to pose this last question. So let's talk about the single ladies. Um, and I think men fall into the same kind of category, but but maybe it's a little bit more present for ladies in, in my clientele that, you know, what do we say to the girl who she didn't get proper training? She didn't get the anatomy conversations that she needs to have. And she's working on developing a healthy sexuality and she's working on applying that into her dating. What does she do? So, um, I think it really comes back to her developing a relationship with her sexuality and making sure that's in line with her value system. So I never, so my thing is I never want to get anyone in trouble with their God. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say that, let's say all of my, uh, all of our clients are members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They aren't, but let's say that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but all of these people Let's say they're all individuals. All these individuals have a different relationship with God. Um, and and so um, what might be okay for this person might not be okay for this other person. So I never want to get anyone in trouble with their God. Um, but I, uh, I would be working on um, or I would encourage them to work on um, this relationship with their sexuality 
and then making sure it's in line with their value system. They're checking in with God. Um, this is why I'm doing X, Y, and Z, or this is how I feel about these things. What do you think? Um, just like I would encourage a couple to do if they're like, well, we're curious about these other things and sexually, but we don't really know if we should do them or mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're not quite sure. I would encourage that couple to come together, figure out how they feel about it, take it to God, then then come back together uh, and and figure out what they want to do after they've, they've had the discussion between them and with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so in order to gain that, that uh, relationship with one's uh, sexual anatomy, I'll take that piece and I'll leave that piece of them figuring out, does this work in my value system and, and, and specifically in my relationship with God, how does he feel about it and how do we feel about it? Um, so what a lot of, uh, what, what a lot of people find um, helpful is to um, really getting, I guess, a, an understanding of the, the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so many women don't even look at their sexual anatomy. They don't look at their vulva. They don't look at their clitoris. Um, and uh, on the other end, men have to touch their penis to urinate. Mm-hmm. Women really can really, really cannot touch or explore or look at their sexual anatomy and live their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use, you know, maybe the closest you could get would be a, a tissue, a, a thin piece of toilet paper for wiping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, some of the ways that someone could do that would be using a mirror. They call the, the, uh, the, 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 the mirror exercise, the mirror exam. So you just get a, a, a mirror and you'd look at your own sexual anatomy through, mm-hmm. the, through the mirror. It's a little hard to do if you're just looking down, you, could, you can see some of it that way. And to just look at it, um, develop a relationship with it. Um, how do I feel as I'm looking at it? What are my thoughts or, or, uh, or feelings that are associated with it? Is there shame? Um, do I have uh, thoughts or feelings about uh, how it looks or how it smells or um, the lubrication that's there? Does that change throughout the month for me in terms of uh, my feelings related to to the look, to the smell, to the lubrication? Um, I think having an awareness when you're in the shower and you're, um, you're washing your body, you're looking at your body, uh, maybe coming in and out of the shower in the mirror or as you're, as you're in the shower and really um, figuring out how you feel towards your, your body and developing this re- relationship. Mm-hmm. I think those are some really good ways to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so many people that come in and this is not just a clinical population. I've had so many conversations with people outside of a clinical setting that have said, um, yeah, I've, I don't look at myself. Um, or I've never looked to see where my clitoris is, um, or I've never thought, what does it feel like? Um, so it's meaning like those. body image shame kind of thing. Like they don't think they're attractive. I uh, don't think they're attractive or maybe think, Oh, that's off limits. I can't touch that. Okay. Um, I can't explore that. I can't have a relationship with that. And I think that's where that piece of talking to God and figuring out like, is that is that really something that's not okay for me? I think that's where that's really important because a lot of people, once they once they do that self reflection and then having that conversation with God, um, most people that I've I've worked with would probably say, well, yeah, I, I need to have a relationship with my sexual anatomy. I need to feel good about it. So yeah, that body image thing, but also just an awareness, a conscious awareness. Um, it's going to be hard to know what's physiologically arousing and pleasurable if you've never like really looked at um, the labia majora, labia minora, so that they're the the lips of the vagina or the clitoris, um, or um, if you've just kind of been uh, uh, really grossed out or weirded out about how um, something might feel if it, if it touches the the vulva. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, you know, some people would say, oh, I have, you know, now that I've thought about it, I have no problem uh, touching or exploring or looking at my vulva or my breasts. Um, and other people might say, you know what, I'd be okay with these things, but not these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be okay with um, maybe uh, touching it and exploring it uh, to see what the, the tissue feels like, because it's different. Um, uh, part of the vulva has tissue that's similar to the belly button. Um, and, and so that tissue feels different than uh, some of the other tissue um, in the vulva. And so that's what I'd say. That's a good, good starting point. Okay. Love it. In that, in that, um, you know, what can they do in relation to their body? Mm -hmm. You might want the, uh, so some thoughts about books or podcasts and things like that. 
Um, I think that um, I think we're going to follow up you and I, Lonnie, and we're going to have enough, uh, have more conversations, more co- podcasts about this. Mm-hmm. I think Esther Perel has a good uh, uh, TED talk. Um, there's uh, what's the name of your book again? You, me, and we. You, me, and we. Uh, my book. Uh, there's some authors, other authors at BYU that wrote a really good book that I would say is. Uh, a good pairing with my book, uh, Dean Busby, Jason Carroll, um, okay. and Willoughby. Um, it's uh, called Sexual Wholeness in Marriage. Okay. So Sexual Wholeness in Marriage is a book written by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My book, You, Me, and We, um, I think would be good places to go. I'm gonna, um, what I'll do is I'm going to link your, well, I'm going to do my best to link. I'm not sure that I... I'm not an influencer, so that doesn't let me link directly. But I will I will share your website and your Instagram. Um, it's called at Covenant Sex Therapy, um, and you can follow along. They they all their slides are so good. They always have like lots of good information, and hopefully you can kind of connect with you know learning more about this part of you, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. We've, um, we've been putting a lot into um, the Instagram and making sure there's great content on it's there. It's really people. good. So many people have a, a hard time that are members of the church, have a mm-hmm. hard time finding things that um, fit our value system, but are informative. Mm-hmm. There's, there are some good, there are some books written by members of the church that are great and, and helpful, but don't go into a lot of detail. We try mm-hmm. to give a lot of detail um, and to be uh, explicit, but not crass, mm-hmm. not um, uh, and and to, I guess to have a, a good reverence around sexuality, but to mm-hmm. be very clear and open mm-hmm. and honest. I love that. I love that. Um, we're gonna do Anthony's book in our March book club, so look for that as well. Um, there's more information about that on my Instagram at Lonnie K Harmon LCSW, and anything like you want to say to singles as we close? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I would say is, uh, is you've got to be able to, to be okay with mourning losses. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you want to express your sexuality, but, um, in a certain way you want to have sex or have an orgasm, but you can't right now. Um, it's okay to mourn that, that loss. Um, but you also have got to continue to cultivate your sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so I would be finding ways that you can throughout the day interface with your sexuality in a, a way that's in line with your value system that is going to build the type of sexual relationship you want to have as an individual, you know, let's say at the end of your life and as, as a member of a, a couple system mm-hmm. at the end of your life. So what am I going to nurture? I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if you guys have any questions or follow up for him, um, you can email me at Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com and I will forward that on to him. Although you you guys got to know this is a busy dude and we'll do our best, but a lot of this is just going to be your own your own learning. Um, you, you need to take responsibility for if this is an area, like just shore it up. Everybody has their areas and their things that they need to work on. So if this is if this speaks to you, We just encourage you to learn more about it and get cozy with the idea of your sexuality in a healthy way. Thanks again, Anthony. Bye, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Dating Counselor podcast, where I help you build a successful relationship. It would mean so much to me if you could rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast so that we can change the way dating is happening and everybody can have a successful experience. If you do, please send me a screenshot. I would love to see your review and share it on my social media. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one. Peace and blessings. This podcast and the social media associated with it represents the opinions of Lonnie K. Harmon, LCSW, and her guests to the show. The content here is intended to be psychoeducational and should not be taken as specific mental health advice. The content here is for informational and educational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your mental health professional for any mental health questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are her own and that of her guests to the show. 
While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Privacy is of, is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect client confidentiality. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapist-client relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast, please send a message to Lonnie at Lonnie at MillCreek-Counseling.com. That's Lonnie, L-O-N-I, at MillCreek-Counseling.com.